Hey everyone, how's it going? I hope everyone's keeping really, really well. My name is Connor Devine and you're listening to my podcast, Money and Plants. I am delighted to say that this is a brand new series of the podcast. This is series number four, believe it or not. And this is episode number 46 of Money and Plants. And to kick this new series off, I'm really pleased that I have been able to agree to speak to a pretty unique and incredible medical doctor from the United States. On this podcast, I'm going to have a conversation with the author of an incredible book called Cured, The Remarkable Science and Stories of Spontaneous Healing and Recovery. And the author of that book is Dr. Jeffrey Rediger. Who is Dr. Rediger? Well, he is a physician. He's now a best-selling author and also a very popular speaker. He is an assistant professor at Harvard Medical School and a medical director of the McLean Adult Psychiatry and Community Affairs at McLean Hospital. A licensed physician and board-certified psychiatrist, he also has a Master of Divinity degree from Princeton Theological University. His research with remarkable individuals who have recovered from incurable diseases has been featured on the Oprah Winfrey Show and also the Dr. Oz American television shows amongst a number of others. He has been nominated for the National Bravewell Leadership Award and has received numerous awards related to leadership and patient care. About six weeks ago, whenever I was out running one morning at just after 6am, I was listening to Gabor Mate, Dr. Gabor Mate's new book, The Myth of Normal. And as I was running about 15 minutes in, he started talking about this doctor called Jeffrey Rediger and his book Cured. So the curiosity got the better of me and I immediately ordered the book. I suppose the reason why I was really interested in Dr. Rediger is he was a medical doctor who apparently had studied a lot of people who had received a, a lot of the times a terminal diagnosis of some kind of chronic disease. And apparently this guy had studied over 120 different patients himself and had figured out that all of these patients had healed themselves. They had recovered from cancer, diabetes, autoimmune diseases. And whenever I hear those kinds of, of stories or I hear people talking about, in particular, medical doctors who are writing about their experiences in this field, it immediately caught my attention. So anyway, I got the book and I started reading the book and I think my, as I finished the first chapter, um, I felt this incredible feeling of validation because anybody who's sort of been following my own sort of story of healing over the last 15 odd years, you're familiar with my diagnosis of MS and it was pretty rough for a number of years and over the last 10 years of being able to transform my own health situation. And I suppose my my number one goal in life is, is to keep my body strong and, and to stay healthy. And for those closest to me know that I pretty much do a lot of work in that regard and, and I work at that every day. But the problem in society is that if you go to your GP or you go to your doctor, or you go to your consultant, None of these people have much time for uh, listening to you, number one, as a patient, 
And then if you start talking to them about you've changed your nutrition, you're you're sleeping better, you know, you're you're looking at your mindset, and really the alternative approach to managing the disease, they're not really interested in it. It's very hard to get their attention. So whenever I was reading Dr. Jeffrey Rediger's book, it was just amazing to see another doctor who has sort of joined the club because there's more and more medical people who are actually entertaining this stuff and who are now talking about illness and disease management and the fact that, you know, it's not the end of the world. You actually can heal yourself. There's lots of things you can now do that can help your body heal, help your body recover. And I read the book and honestly, it was an amazing book. It's an amazing read. So I reached out to Dr. Rediger on Instagram and sent him a message as I, as I do, um, not really expecting him to come back. And thankfully he did come back and he said he would be delighted to speak to me on this show. So last week I pulled up a pew and I had a 35 minute conversation with Jeffrey, who is a really down to earth, really nice, knowledgeable, interesting human being. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to play the conversation. And if you've got a pen and paper, I, I would encourage you to take some notes. There's, Quite a bit in this from from Jeffrey's perspective, and what I'll do, I'll do is I've I've done over the last forty five episodes. I'll I'll round up and I'll catch up with you after this conversation between myself and Doctor Rediger last week. Let's roll it. Dr. Rediger, you're really welcome. It's so good to speak to you and to see you. Uh, I am just launching my new series number four um, of Money and Plants, and it's just wonderful to have you on. How are you feeling? How are you keeping today? You look really good, really relaxed. It's nice to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm doing well. Yeah, indeed. Indeed, indeed. So look, the, the context of, of this conversation, um, I know you've done a, quite a few podcasts in the last 18 months, but maybe this one's a bit different in that I'm actually a patient who I have, I've went through this sort of transformational healing process um, myself in the last 15 years. It's been, it's been really, really challenging. And I used to never have too many good days. Now I have lots of good days. Wow. And it's, it's so empowering. And whenever I came across your book, um, it just validated, you know, everything that I've been doing. And you don't hear or come across a lot of doctors who, who say things like, like you say. But before we get into it, I wanted to ask you, we're all on this journey of life, as I call it. And whenever you went into medical school, maybe in your early 20s, and I'm talking to you now, you're a lot more experienced. You've probably had went through this journey yourself, even in conventional medicine. I'm interested in a few minutes, could you tell me sort of whenever you started out getting into medicine, what sort of motivated you to do that and, and how that has evolved over the last sort of 10, 20 years? Yeah. Um, I mean, for me, it's, it has been a long professional and personal journey. Uh, I I grew up in a very a difficult rural environment that was anti-intellectual in a lot of ways. Um, my father came out of an Amish background. The Bible was thought to be sufficient for all knowledge. Um, knowledge was thought to be worldly and suspect, and um, science was suspect because it was about evolution, for example. So I was very confused from a young age about the different beliefs that were being taught in school versus uh, what I was experiencing at home. And so that, I think, helped prepare me and began uh, 
preparing me to make this journey that became so prominent in my life later. I went to college, and um, that opened the world up more for me. Um, I had uh, uh, some experiences in college that continued to open up me to uh, more uh, questions and begin uh, the journey where I began to separate the religion of my parents from what spirituality was for myself and what it meant to take responsibility for my spiritual beliefs. And there's a lot connected with that. But the long and short of it is I had a spiritual experience that then took me uh, into a level of questions that caused me to go to seminary. And uh, seminary, uh, was I, I obtained a Master's of Divinity in Theology and Philosophy of Science. And that was a great uh, time for me to ask very personal questions about what's true, how do we know what's true, um, is the universe friendly, um, do we matter as human beings, are human beings fundamentally good or fundamentally evil? Now, those were burning questions for me. In the context of that, um, and since I was looking at theology and philosophy of science uh, and trying to figure out what's true, I became convinced that science is a great gift to the world. And even though it's problematic and complicated and in a time of transition because of all the Cartesian and Newtonian assumptions that go along with that, I became convinced that that uh, science is uh, a great gift to, to humanity. And that then raised the uh, possibility of going to med school. I went home to see uh, my family briefly in Indiana while I was at Princeton, and um, my best friend's mom at church, she said, well, what are you going to do with all that education? I said, well, I'm going to become a college professor. And she said, you're going to get all that education and not do something to help people? <laughs> so, so again, that whole gap between the world I grew up in and the world that I was living in, you know, the people that I grew up with, they weren't interested in Kant or Cartesian thought or Newtonian philosophy and and all that. So, but, and, and so there's a lot of questions about next steps. And when I finally, after a number of years, uh, finally said, okay, well, why don't I just go to med school? And med school was a great solution because that's very practical. It does something to tangibly help people. Um, and more privately, I knew that would still give me the freedom to, to do the work and ideas that I cared about. And so med school became this perfect solution of doing something practical, but also associated with the ideas I cared about. And that reconciled the inner tensions within me in a way that was uh, really useful. So I went to med school, uh, hated the first two years of uh, book work, but loved the last two years with a lot of clinical work and more uh, applied sciences. And then went to residency at Harvard and have uh, been on the faculty since then and had a chance to do the things I love best, which is to be in science, work with patients, and also continue thinking about these questions that that drive me so much. Um, does that answer your question a little bit? Yeah, it, it, it seems to me that your career, like a lot of people who go on this sort of professional career, it's it's sort of steeped in curiosity. You're a curious person. Um, yeah. You seem, to, you seem to like to find solutions. Um, it's not easy for medical. I mean, I've spoken, I've dealt with um, and many, many conventional doctors, and it's 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 quite rare that that you come across people like yourself who are prepared to go into quite a quite a different space. And um, your book cured 
which I, I've just read in the last four weeks is, is an amazing um, piece of work. It's something that I'll study in detail over the next number of years. I'll, I'll read it several times. Um, it's where you talk about uh, patients that you've came across and you've worked with and you've studied. I think I've heard you say this, you can correct me on this, but 124 personally, you've really dug into their backstories to try and figure out how these people have then went on to go into remission and achieve this incredible um, experience of spontaneous healing. Is that correct, the 124 figure? Yes, it is. And it's it takes a long time to go so deeply into a person's life. There's a lot to... Um, figuring out who is a person who fit who fits the research criteria. I had th- three strict criteria. I was, I started out as such a skeptic about all this, and I and this was a uh, personal journey in the sense that it was kind of an empirical theology. I had been raised in a very violent and uh, abusive environment, and so had a lot of um, questions and pain that I was trying to figure out. And so after years of reading uh, so many articles and books in in medicine, in psychology, and in theology, I reached this point of saturation where I no longer wanted to read another opinion by any specialist. I, I needed evidence. And the uh, most rigorous evidence I could figure out uh, was that if a person had medical evidence for recovery from an illness that we consider completely incurable, and cured is about the most incurable illnesses out there, um, that 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 was maybe something that would I could trust, that, that would give me a, a bit more of a reassurance that maybe I was onto something that was uh, less loaded with opinion or uh, subjectivity. So that's that's how this came about in part, and 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 so I set up three criteria. First of all, the person needed to have a genuinely incurable illness, according to all that we currently understand. Number two, medically indisputable evidence for accurate diagnosis and clear evidence for recovery. Just want to make sure that we had the right diagnosis. And and number three, number no experimental medication or anything else that could potentially explain how they got better. And that, that became my criteria and helped me begin separating the wheat from the chaff over a period of years. Because many people, uh, you know, these are desperate stories. Uh, people want to believe they're being healed. Um, they hope they're getting healed. Um, they'll tell you they're getting healed, but um, the medical evidence sometimes tells a different story. I'm the first person uh, that has collected medical evidence for these stories. When you begin to investigate these amazing miracles, most of these stories recede and disappear uh, for all kinds of reasons, uh, whether the, whether the diagnosis was wrong or the illness was uh, has a different uh, path or teleology than uh, the person understood. There's a lot of reasons why these stories uh, tend to disappear when you investigate them. And that's why the medical evidence became so important to me. So excellent. That's, so, yeah. Yeah. So one, one of the, one of, I suppose it, 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 it's taken me, I suppose, to now, which is 15 years um, on my own journey. Um, and this probably, I've probably figured this out after year 10, that there was actually nobody nobody in the world going to fix me. My, my medical doctor couldn't fix me. My parents couldn't fix me. My, my, my family couldn't fix me. And my, my sort of message is that 
you know, if you want to get better, um, then you have to fix yourself. That's ultimately where, where, where I'm at with this. Um, because ultimately responsibility comes back to me. Um, nobody's going to do the work for me. Um, nobody's going to make me eat the right diet. Nobody's going to make me exercise. Nobody's going to understand my, all of these things. So it's, it's, it's a very complicated journey for any patient to go on. Um, but, but one of the really good things about living right now is uh, the amount of resources that are out there in the world. And you, you can actually do a lot of this. You can heal yourself by opening your mind to the possibility that things can improve. And that's something that I said to you that the first five years of my own journey, I, I had closed my mind to the idea that I could improve, that I could get better, that I could get stronger, that I could start running again. And I suppose from your experience then, would you suggest that uh, everyone that, that you have, have studied who had experienced spontaneous healing were very much in that vein and that they, they recognized that they had to fix themselves, that they actually could fix themselves and they were prepared to do the work then that's required to get to that outcome? Yeah, what you're raising is such a big issue and there's a lot of pieces to this. Um, this is why your work is so important. Uh, we are in a very exciting time when the democratization of medicine is finally beginning to occur and where doctors are not viewed as gods or as the expert over a person's life or body, even though they barely know that person. I tell patients all the time that they're, that it's important to pay attention to a doctor or a healthcare provider's um, clinical training and scientific expertise, but the bottom line is every person knows things about their life and their body that that the doctor or provider just simply is not going to know. And that personal knowledge and awareness of their own story and what this is about for them needs to be put into the mix and made really important. I believe that doctors should be coaches, but not experts. They don't know most of the things that are so important for what it is for this person to get better. Um, they, so you're, you're right. It's, it's helping people disabuse themselves of the misinformation uh, where they've been taught that the doctor knows best or the doctor knows what it's going to take to heal. Doctors don't even ask how people heal. They don't research it by and large, and we don't try to help people heal. That was one of the things that took me years to finally get it. It was like the curtains parted and I finally understood after many years of doing this research. As a doctor, I was taught to make a diagnosis and start a medication, but we don't even ask how people heal. So that's shocking. We only make diagnoses and start medications. That's starting to change where now it's becoming okay to begin becoming curious and to begin investigating how people heal. But even now, uh, it's shocking the degree to which every single person I've studied for 19 years, not one of them has had a doctor get interested in how they got better or how they were getting better. The best ones say, well, whatever you're doing, keep doing it because it's working. But a lot of doctors actually get irritated and sometimes they'll fire the patient and they won't want to hear about it. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's shocking. And and whenever I I took my last injection, um, disease modifying therapy on the 20th of April 2016. Um, and even to to make that decision, Jeffrey, to go off medication is incredibly daunting. It took me five years. Um, I came across Dr. Terry Walls, who you may have heard of oh, in, yeah. in the US. 
mm-hmm. and Terry wrote a blog for me and I studied her work for three or four years and and then I, I sort of decided around about April 16 like I'm 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 gonna take a different direction here. But up until about 2014 I was three years into running marathons and I was doing quite well in my own story in Ireland. I was on I was on one of the big talk shows here and I had a huge response from people wow. because it gave them some hope and in life if you've got no hope you've got nothing and and anyway um the pharmaceutical company who I was work well I wasn't working for them but they used to invite me to their conferences in Milan and 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 Barcelona and around Europe and I used to speak to a room full of conventional doctors and physicians and uh, medical reps but but the last the last talk that I gave um I raised the question um, and I asked the room, um, I wanted to leave them with something to think about. I said, why is there such a disconnect between the conventional approach to disease management and the more unconventional approach to disease management? Because there, sh- there, sh- there shouldn't be any. any, right. any so, and I, I was never asked back to speak <laughs> at, any mo- at any more conferences, um, believe it or not. And, and ultimately, uh, the charity, I raised loads of money for charity over the years. Um, and whenever they found out that I wasn't uh, taking the medication anymore and I went plant-based and I was, I was writing books and I'm not making any, any bizarre claims, by the way. I'm just encouraging people to look at, at this way of doing it. Then right. they, dropped me, they dropped me as well. Um, and nobody from 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 the charities speak to me about this anymore. I used to contribute in the radios and all the rest of it. So there's there's a lot of resistance there, right? And I, 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 I don't want to put you in a position, but you've probably seen this from a professional perspective as well. And I'm hoping I'm hoping I think there's a long way to go in this one, but I I think it just makes it more difficult for stories like mine to be authenticated. But what yes. what 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 is really good then is whenever someone like yourself comes along, writes this incredible book. And talks about all of these people who are having all of these experiences. It it it's a bit of a game changer, Jeffrey. It really is. What? How do you think about that? Well, I think stories like yours are so important because they inspire people and they help people realize, oh, maybe there's something I can do. Uh, if that person, if if Connor can do that, well, maybe I could do something like this for myself. And that's how new stories are inspired and become then real. That's why I am so devoted to doing everything I can to help create a platform where people can tell their stories like yours, because that's what changes lives. That's what changes health and well-being. That's what helps people get a life and in the end be grateful for the illness because of the gifts that it gives in terms of healing one's own beliefs and realizing that we each bring something so important and good in the world. It's it an illness is a message from the body, and in in my line of work, too often we are medicating and numbing bodies, but we're not helping people ask good questions about what is this illness, what questions is this illness asking to be addressed? And Gabor Mate is brilliant at talking about some of these things. Like you know, he he's very good at helping people say if you're if you do not know how to say no, your body will eventually say no for you. Our hospitals and our clinics are full of people who, whose bodies are saying no. Yeah, yeah, and I want I want to throw this at you as well, and take take this in in the tenor it's meant. Um, but but the word spontaneous healing to me suggests that you know it just sort of happened, right? Um, I would think it's more responsive healing to purposeful action, right? Because, yes, I agree. you know, if, if I was talking to my mum and I know she'll be watching and listening to this next week, she'll be going spontaneous healing. Yeah, that was a miracle. That was a miracle, <laughs> you know. But 
you know, and I'm not saying miracles do or don't happen, but but right. I do know that I didn't get to where I am today without a hell of a lot of work. It's yes. taken years to get this this where I am. So what how do you think about that now? Spontaneous healing, purposeful action, responsive healing. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's it's absolutely true. I mean, you, you people like you are the Olympians of healing, the ultimate achievers of health and well-being, and it takes a ton of work to do what you have done and do. I, I in med school, we're taught that spontaneous remission is a fluke with no medical or scientific cause. That's that's the most unscientific way of thinking I can imagine. And we're supposed to be scientists, you know. So yeah. it's the word spontaneous in this context means without cause. Everything has a cause. We just weren't asking the questions. It's my view um, that your know, mom uses the word miracle. In medicine, if you're on the science side, you use the word spontaneous remission. But that's the same thing, just in a different uh, use of words. It's my belief that words like spontaneous remission, miracle, spiritual healing, these are just simply black boxes. These are words that have not been investigated with the tools of science. That's what I'm trying to do is to bring science to this so that we can begin to understand how is it that that medically substantiated miracles and spiritual healing or spontaneous remission can and do occur. I think your use of language is, is excellent in this. It's, it shows how um, impoverished and mixed up our language has been, and we do need a change of language. We're just not there yet. Fair enough. So look, just to get into the more technical, talk to me a little bit about the amazing uh, immune system. Um, what is the immune system? Very, very briefly now, just the immune system, why it's important and how we can help our immune system function as human beings. Well, in Western medicine, uh, we do way too much uh, of the kinds of activities that suppress the brilliant immune cells that we have. The immune system is this brilliant army with all kinds of specialized units that are highly intelligent, very quickly adapting, and when a when a bacteria or a virus enter the body, these highly specialized units go and first of all recognize and then attach to and attack uh, the um, pathogen, whether it's a bacteria, or virus, or or even a mutated cancer, a mutated uh, particle. And so the immune system is this very advanced recognition system. We have spent years in Western medicine um, in the United States, in Ireland, in the UK, elsewhere, suppressing the immune system through uh, immune suppressants or through uh, reducing fevers instantly. Fevers help kick out the infection. They That extra heat uh, makes the immune system cells work faster and and even though a dangerous fever can be too high, you want to bring that down, we do all these things to actually inhibit the capacity of the immune system to work. Um, so, And that's slowly beginning to change for reasons I describe in Cured. Our immune system is at the basis for keeping us healthy in so many different ways. It's um, Most of the diseases from which people suffer, including all the major killers, they're actually autoimmune diseases. That means self-attacking. The immune system is attacking the body that it's sworn to protect. That's true for uh, autoimmune diseases like uh, heart disease, uh, diabetes, cancer, 
um, autoimmune illnesses. These are all autoimmune illnesses. MS is an autoimmune illness. It means that something has gone awry in the immune system and is attacking the body instead of the pathogen. And so the immune system is a lot more than just fighting infections. It's about keeping us healthy at every level. And so I think a lot of what has happened in our culture, just since to be brief, is that we have a lifestyle and a diet that's highly inflammatory, and it creates chronic inflammation in our body. And if you have chronic inflammation lining the arteries and veins and organs of your body, you're just going to be a lot more susceptible to uh, to diabetes and cancer and heart disease and uh, other kinds of autoimmune illnesses, whether that's MS or um, Guillain-Barre or other neurological or uh, medical illnesses. But I, I think, could go, I th- go yeah, ahead. Yeah, I, th- I think it's really, um, like I, I was at the garage this morning at the gas station and I was in the shop and I looked around me and every, every everything in the shop is designed to attack our immune system. Mm-hmm. It's all sugary products. There is no healthy products there at all. No mm-hmm. whole foods, very little organic vegetable, nothing around. And it just seems that with Western society, which is one of the reasons why actually I've been looking at Dan Butner's work on the Blue Zones over the last 10 years and how do yeah. people live to 100 plus and what what's the common themes. And in your book, it's interesting because you talk about um, the role of love, compassion and connection and, and the role that those three things play in, in people who you've studied who've achieved spontaneous healing. So love, compassion and connection. What's your thoughts around that? for patients or people because personally like because I have got a story in Ireland and 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 uh, I'm online I have lots of people um uh, who reach out to me and ask me questions about all kinds of things and you know so I'm I'm interested in your thoughts around that in particular compassion love and connection um how important a role is that like if you don't have love you don't have compassion and you don't have connection are, are you ever going to heal or, or is that a necessity? Well, I think love, we're wired for love. And the neurochemistry around love versus uh, fear and anxiety and fight or flight is a, is a really different neurochemistry. So uh, I think the reality is most of us spend more time in fight, flight, or freeze than we'd realize. I thought I was this, you know, very relaxed doctor who's, uh, in high-pressure environments, and I thought I was uh, someone different than I was. I didn't realize myself until I began um, using uh, technology to measure my the state of my nervous system. I began to realize that I was in fight or flight a lot more of the time than I realized, for example. Um, that the neurochemistry of being in an anxious fight, flight, or freeze state uh, is... Uh, something that we know on the basis of laboratory and clinical evidence uh, causes the immune system cells to misfire, to become sluggish, to um, uh, to begin having problems. Uh, and that neurochemistry is if your beautiful immune cells and the cells of your body are floating in or swimming in a neurochemistry of stress hormones like cortisol, uh, norepinephrine, adrenaline, uh, that's a very different neurochemistry than the chemistry of love and connection. The chemistry of 
love, whether you feel that love for another that you meet on the street or for a loved one who you've known your entire life or love for the little child or the human being that you are, um, that neurochemistry of love and connection is really different. And that's more of a parasympathetic state where the body can heal. When your uh, beautiful immune cells or the cells of your body are floating in dopamine, the pleasure molecule, um, and motivation molecule, or uh, oxytocin, the love molecule, or serotonin, the antidepressant molecule, that neurochemistry uh, is one that we know, again, on the basis of laboratory and clinical evidence, is where your body, your cells wake up, they begin to function correctly, they begin to heal, um, they become alive, and they flourish. That's really different than the neurochemistry of uh, fight, flight, or freeze. I, th I think. I think it's. Um, I think it's. If we talk about love, compassion, and connection, um, if the problem from a, I'm speaking to you from a patient's perspective, if you had have met me in the first five years of my experience with disease, and you started talking to me about love and compassion and connection. I would have thought you were out of your mind and you had no idea what I was going through <laughs> and to show, to show a little bit of empathy um, right. and, real, and realism. So from the patient's perspective, there's something my dad said to me whenever I was really sick at the beginning. He says, look, son, it's just going to take time, but with time, things will improve, right? And uh, right. I, I, I don't know if he even meant it or not, but I, I, I haven't forgotten it. And I think what I would say to patients is just hang in there hang in there because yeah. that's a real because at the start Jeffrey of my illness I thought I was going to die every day I felt so bad I thought I had this that and the other I had yeah. panic attacks I think I think from a patient's perspective it, it's it is tough but if you can hang in there and one of the things I say to people is try and find people who are doing really well yeah they're everywhere these people are everywhere yeah. find people who are doing well maybe they've got the similar problem that you have but and figure out what what have they been doing and again that that gives you a bit of hope and a, you buy a bit of time by finding these kind of people you know yeah. that's that's really important yeah it is really important i think that's indispensable critical advice it's there's, there's what go ahead finish that one well, I think the dark night of the soul is often what goes on for people in the early stages of this, and it's easy to lose hope. And that's why I think these stories that I tell and cured and also that your story is so important is that these are important stories that are that are stories of hope and possibility, but it's it's not false hope. It's grounded in real medical evidence. These are real stories with medical evidence and that's grounded ethical hope. And people yeah. need grounded ethical hope in order to begin finding the pathway that's right for them. So there's four pillars that you focus in on on people who have achieved amazing results. And I don't want to go into the four pillars because I want people to buy the book. And here's what I want people to do, do the work. So if you're not feeling well, if, you, if you're being diagnosed with some condition, um, then you need, to, you need to be prepared to do the work. And do the work means that you need to, you need to read, you need to listen to people who are doing well. You need to find the clues. And and what I would say, Jeffrey, is that there is no shortcut to health. Yep, there is no shortcut. You're absolutely right. It's about doing the work. It's about becoming our best self and not putting up with anything that gets in the way of that. And it's easy for all of us to want an expert to fix it for us or a doctor to fix it for us or a healer. Yeah. No, you have to. This is about you waking up to your best version of yourself. And that's what it is for all of us.
you have to commit and lock in and do the work. But there's one pillar that you talk about. I know you've spoken about this in other podcasts, but it, it really struck a chord with me. Um, it's it's healing your identity. And yeah. for me, for me, it took me a long time. Um, one of the things I do, I don't do enough of this, but I speak. I like speaking to kids and in, in schools and stuff. Um, and I I personally think that in life we all have three big questions to answer at some point in time, and that is, you know, who are you? Um, what do you really want? And how do you propose to get it? Because at some point in each of our lives, yours, mine, we hit what I call a wall. And and the the real important thing then is how are you going to react to this? So for me, it was a diagnosis um, and, and my story has played out for you. It's probably something else, but nobody escapes is the point. That's right. Nobody escapes. I, yep. And that's why your identity point, which is one of your pillars, is so interesting. And it's quite deep for some people to get but again, if, if you're prepared to do the work, you will get it, right? So I just yeah. wanted to tell me what your thoughts were around that whenever you thought it was so important that it needed to be included in your four pillars. Well, my publisher said that the year uh, Cured came out, there was 40 books that were written on nutrition. And he said, uh, that's all well and good. But he said, there's never been a book that argued that if you want to heal at the deepest level, then you have to heal your identity. You have to heal the false beliefs that cause you to question or not know your value as a human being, and to not be able to experience your goodness. And I think that's there's some people that healed their identity and didn't didn't change their nutrition, for example. I mean, this is a this fourth pillar is a really big deal. It's the most difficult one to to understand it's the most difficult one to bring into your life but it's also the most powerful this is the pillar where people in telling me their stories they would sit up straight they would get a light in their eyes and say this is why i'm grateful for the illness because it gave me this and nothing no amount of money no amount of privilege no amount of anything else could have ever given me this this is the gift of the illness because it gave me such a quality of life and a deep experience of my value that I, I'd never had, and that's 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 the value that this illness turned out to have for so many of the people that I have interviewed. Fantastic! So finally, we're nearly nearly I'm nearly done with you, but um, you you one of the other pillars is nutrition, and I know it's a very um, complicated uh, topic, um, but I think you've said that eighty three percent of patients who achieved spontaneous healing. Did actually change their nutrition yeah. um, patterns. Is is that a fair comment? Yeah. Yeah, that is. And largely yep. speaking, would 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 these people transition to more plant based diets? Um, largely speaking, or I know some maybe went down the ketosis route. But what's your view on on that? Can you package yeah. that for me? Yeah, I, I think it's a big topic. Um, the um, there's no fad diet that's going to do this. This is not about fad diets. This is not about having a certain proportion of different kinds of food in your plate. It's not about counting calories, but it is about getting the most nutritionally dense foods into your body. And it's about seeing, I mean, love. food is love, right? So food is a, is a lot of things. Uh, and it's, but it's about it's not about giving something up. It's about giving yourself what your body needs and craves. I was taught such misinformation in med school about nutrition. And tragically, most doctors and nutritionists and nurses are given misinformation about nutrition. The trifecta between industry, who pays doctors to get certain results in their studies and how that interacts with the lobbyists who create the food and nutrition guidelines in our governments, 
is science, but it's also spin science. It's got a business angle to it. And so that's why there's so much mis uh, misinformation. A uh, hundred years ago, the average American, the average Western, uh, Westerner and European consumed four pounds of sugar a year, no big deal. But now the modern um, person that lives in the West consumes 154 pounds of sugar a year. I read a report of the uh, Supreme Court of Ireland who determined uh, several years ago that the uh, rolls that the Subway fast food company uses mm -hmm. uh, can no longer be taxed as bread because there's so much sugar in them. And, mm -hmm. and that's shocking and appalling. The refined flour is basically sugar already. But uh, so refined flour is a problem. But for even the refined flour of those subway rolls to have such a high sugar content that they can't be taxed as bread any longer is appalling. And sugar is highly inflammatory for the body. It just causes all these little cuts on the internal arteries. And the immune system keeps, pre keeps trying to fix scab on top of scab on top of scab until you end up with atherosclerosis. So it's there's it's a big big problem, but not one size fits all. But I do I can say that most people move towards a lot more plants. Some people went the keto diet way. That's a big topic in itself. But they still eliminated most of the sugars, most of the refined flours, most of the processed foods, and that seems to be definitive. That's fantastic. So look, I just want to um, really personally thank you um, from my perspective. It was uh, just amazing to come across people like yourself and Gabor Mate. I want to encourage you to, you know, keep going and get your message out there globally. I know the States is a big place, but so is over here in Europe as well. And um, there's so many people, so many people need, it's just amazing how you can actually change someone's lives by sharing information. And I think I think your piece of work I I I I've had the China study now for a few years, um, with Colin Campbell, and and it's a, it's it's a book that that I'll have to get back and study again. I'm going to study yours for a long time as well, and I've shared it with a lot in my community. So I just want to thank you, Jeffrey, and I want to encourage you to keep going, and um, just wish you all the best. It's been amazing to speak to you. Really great to speak to you, Connor. Your story is so important. Thank you for what you do to get other stories out there, so people can heal and have genuine well-being in their lives. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. I hope you uh, found that interesting, that conversation uh, that I had with uh, Dr. Ediger. We covered an awful lot of ground. He was very, very generous with his time. Uh, I suppose from my own perspective, I've, I've been looking forward to having a chat with Jeffrey about his own experiences as a medical doctor and how he has evolved as a physician and a, and a medical professional over the last 20 or 30 years. And it's just so encouraging whenever you hear him speak that him and others are now more open-minded about this. I thought it was brilliant whenever he started speaking about the idea that, you know, doctors don't know your body better than you yourself. And I've been saying this for years, you know, I've been, I've been trying to encourage people to take back control of their health, you know, don't believe the naysayers. These medical people and doctors are, are great. But the problem with disease management is, you know, medication and, and pharmaceutical products and Big Pharma has made tremendous progress in the last 100 years, particularly with pain relief. But in terms of actual disease management, 
I don't think they've made enough progress. And it was just heartwarming to hear Dr. Rediger talk about healing and the fact that the patient has to take back control, that there is so much that the patient can do now. He talks about the four pillars, the immune system, the stress response, nutrition, and then this whole idea of healing your identity. Uh, That is something that I've been trying to figure out myself over the last five to 10 years around my own identity. I think it's, it's a good exercise to engage in from a personal perspective. If you're listening to this podcast, you know, if you, if you ask yourself, well, you know, who are you and what are your goals in life? What do you want to achieve? Why do you want to achieve those things? I think it's, it's a really good use of your time sometimes to step back whether you're feeling well or, or you're not feeling well, is to get this, your own mental health right, your own mindset right. Because once your mindset is right and once your mental health is good, then you can go about trying to achieve whatever it is you're, you're trying to achieve. So I thought it was just so good to speak to Jeffrey, who, who uh, obviously is, is incredibly knowledgeable around this area. And what I would do is encourage you to have a look at his website, jeffreyrediger.com. And also, I would really encourage you to get a copy of his book, Cured, The Remarkable Science and Stories of Spontaneous Healing and Recovery. I would also, if you if you don't mind me saying, if you know someone at the moment that's maybe not well, maybe they've got a, a recent diagnosis, share this, this podcast with them. Encourage them to have a look at Dr. Rediger. Encourage them to to check out his book. Because for me personally, I've had hundreds of people have contacted me over the years, all on a very confidential level. And all of us need hope. I talk about this hope thing a lot. And hope is a, it's a very personal thing. I'm very fortunate that people trust me uh, and share messages with me and contact me. And, and I would point them to resources books, podcasts, and it's amazing what just sharing information, how much you can actually lift someone, give them some encouragement. I suppose the trick is in life for me anyway is just to never give up, just to keep going, no matter how bad things are, no matter how bad things are, I just think it's really, really important to keep going, keep going, putting one foot in front of the other. Look, if you like the podcast, please share it with a couple of people. I would love you to review it. It's also on YouTube, this one. I'm trying to get a few of these conversations up on YouTube. Reach out to me, Connor at ConnorDevine.com. If you have any questions for me or you need any information or you want to ask me something uh, confidential, best place to get me is on the email. So look, that was all for me. I hope you enjoyed this new episode in Series 4. And I will speak to you again this time next week. Look after yourself.